Greetings, adventurers. As we endeavor to grow Dark Dice into a larger multimedia world, we realize that it would be necessary to, well, actually include our own world. I have been running an ongoing campaign in my personal D&D games for over the past 25 years. The world is the product of my imagination from age 8 onward, shaped by the events of 30-plus friends and players, and, most notably, refined by key contributors like Caitlin Statz, James Lengrich, Nala Wu, Aethor Vithyarsson, Jordan Cobb, Victor Ramirez, and Hem Cleveland. We have refined many elements of this world during our previous isolated adventures and during our Pride Month event, but we are about to go much deeper as our one-shot adventure pushes into an open-world campaign. Over the last 18 months, we have gone through great efforts to create our own deities that really dug into the underlying elements of the world's cultures, pushing to be original while really working to avoid common fantasy tropes and pitfalls that, let's just address, I inherently face as the world's primary creator. While I won't go back and retcon anything from our first season, certain names trademarked by companies like Wizards of the Coast, specifically the names of monsters, races, species, deities, or others, may be recognizably different going forward. You can actually track our world-building progress on our Patreon if you're so inclined. And if it helps at all, you can simply attribute the old names as being the byproducts of poor memory or perhaps high-stress damage in difficult situations. Two more quick notes. First, I would like to really address again that this epilogue story is an open-world adventure using the term very loosely. Domain of the Nameless God, our previous story, was a very closed system akin to a haunted house. If you absolutely don't find this story as fun as that haunted house, rest assured we will be returning to form in 2022 with Story 2, Shores of the Silver Thrum. So please stay subscribed, please check out our other fiction stories like The White Vault in the meantime, and we'll be warping your sense of reality before you know it. The final note, and it's an important one, is that this story represents a great break in our series and is essentially a new optional starting point for new listeners. It is notably a story that focuses less frequently-ish on grotesque horrors, but to me at least, that just means that they'll be all the more terrible when we do reach them. You'll also notice a letter at the end of each episode's title. We have two different epilogue stories, and each letter corresponds to the point of view that the chapter will take place, Team A or Team B. They will be appearing on our feed in our preferred listening order, but perhaps in a few years there may be different optional listening orders for a slightly more enjoyable experience. Again, if you don't like one team, please do give the other team's adventure a try as well, as you will find significant differences between their respective quests. Thank you again for choosing to listen to our shows, and for giving us the full-time career as audio entertainers through your support on Patreon. Link in the show notes. And with all of that out of the way, let's begin. Dark Dice. The Long Road. Chapter 1A. Left Behind. Previously, the team set off from Illmater's Hope to find the town's missing children. Instead... Something else found them. The weary survivors have returned home from their failed quest, and now begin the process of recovery. Eighteen hours had passed since the team had returned to the broken village of Ilmeter's Hope. Rowena Granite Pike, the autumn-haired dwarven bard, had forever lost her light attitude, her smiling eyes, and was resting in a cozy bed in a room lit only by dim firelight. Still traumatized by a lingering memory, and unable to experience taste, she had greatly struggled to find the will to consume food, and had lost eleven pounds since returning to the surface. I don't even have a weight on here, dude. And we've already broken from the narrative. I just create one in minus seven. You say that, but I don't even know how much I weigh or what anything weighs. I can't do measurements very well because I my brain can't. How tall is she? 
411. Father Westpike is 187 pounds. He is with his chainmail shirt and shield, but yeah, based on the wonky American system of measurement, she started at maybe around 150 pounds if I'm going by her character art, and attribute numbers for dwarven muscle. You're quite muscular, and you're slightly taller than me. Based on the other events that took place before losing 7 pounds, now she'd be around 131 pounds, pale, weary, and thinning. <clears throat> a few feet away, standing near a warm furnace, was her cousin, weary Father Sindri Westpike, an ancient cleric of Selagon, Lord of Light, who was casting healing spells to reduce the inflammation in his bad knee, and nursing the black eye he'd received from Rowena a week prior. And he just assumes it's part of whatever happened. Surely Silial got in a punch somewhere and he doesn't exactly remember it. Yay, he doesn't remember this shit. <laughs> Which reminds me, per his unhealthily high levels of stress, Father Westpike found that he had great difficulty remembering the events of the adventure, and during his many hours of reflection and prayer, had organized his memories as follows. He could recall with some degree of certainty the events leading up to the final battle, but certain details, like the living cave and a particular encounter within the roaming forest, were simply repressed. After Father Westpike dared a glance at the living sea of stars that threatened to consume the world, the very face of the nameless god, Father Westpike's memory simply went blank. Having spoken with his younger cousin Rowena at some length, he'd come to understand that he did not remember the long walk through the roaming forest, closing the gate, nor much of the walk back to Ilmener's hope. Does, does, uh, does Rowena know that he has memory loss, as he told her? I am assuming she very much knows, because if they bring up Lady Cavernfall or the any part of closing the gate, he instantly shows no memory. Okay, take two. <clears throat> Eighteen hours had passed since the team had returned to the dilapidated village of Ilmener's Hope. Father Westpike nursed his swollen eye near the warmth of the furnace in the cozy room which housed six cots and a modified butcher's table they'd used to share meals together with Ayas and the children. Physically within the basement of the inn at Ilmener's Hope, the beds currently belonged to Father Westpike, Rowena, and the disfigured girl, Odd, whose frail body had withstood the relentless assault of the team. Yeah, she was possessed by Sylvia. Yes, all right. Even while mumbling this logic to himself, the words felt hollow. Looking upon the burnt flesh around the young girl's eyes, the wounds from where she'd been stabbed and beaten, the immutable facts could not be overcome as she lay before the old dwarf, quietly breathing in frail slumber. Looking for a distraction, Father Sindri Westpike's eyes shifted toward the other beds before glossing over, his mind flashing through the events of the previous day. He had led a late memorial service for a mutual deceased friend and the village's former leader, Mayor Delvin Brighthope, who had passed during the months of their absence. Sindri had witnessed a brief quarrel between his companion Ayas and the inn's current owner, Neddard. Sindri remembered Ayas paying for one more night of lodging, and then, just this morning, Ayas informed him that he would settle the dispute of the inn's ownership with the men of the crown. Ayas had taken his son and the other surviving boy with him, but left Odd to sleep and recover, growling that he'd sooner live in the Azure Kingdom than let his inn be given away to a gods-be-damned human. It took a special kind of person to deny the existence of the gods. Father Westpike wakes up and looks over to Rowena, who still is sleeping. He thinks about waking her up, but decides against it. Uh, instead, he nudges the young girl. As she woke, Odd's expression switched to terror as she looked around the room, confused and blind. I'm sorry, uh, Odd 
What's your name, if I remember correctly? Sorry, my memory's a bit off. I'm sorry. I need to go to the church. Uh, I have business there. If I'm, if you could just let Rowena know when she wakes up, she will feed you if you get hungry. I promise. I'm sorry. I I have to go. And Father Westpike uh, walks out the door, closing it softly behind him. Sensing movement a few moments later, Rowena woke in a cold sweat. The dying images of Sister Cavern's fall fading from view. She took a moment to glance around the room, noting that Odd had stirred. Morning. You okay? Stay away! Um, I'm not gonna hurt you. Your father, Westpike, went to the church. Uh, she looks over and notices that he's gone and looks back at her. It's like, thank you for letting me know, but look, why don't, why don't we get you something to eat and get you settled down somewhere... Somewhere warm and comfortable, somewhere where you'll be looked after. Ayas said he'd take care of me. Um... I don't want your help. But I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. What are you scared of? I mean, everything's behind us now. We're back in, we're back in your home. I mean, we're, we're going to find somewhere for you. I'm not going to hurt you. And she puts her hands out towards her, like showing that she has no weapons. The small spark of optimism died within Rowena as she confirmed that the previous day's magical healing had done nothing to combat Odd's blindness. Magic cannot, in fact, cure everything. She took five stress damage with this revelation, noting the seared skin around the girl's forehead and eyes. Oh, I put my hands, like, just above hers. If you put your hands up, you'll feel me. I'm not gonna hurt you. I've got no weapons on me. Let me... Startled, Odd rushed back and fell off the bed. I'm just going to scoop her up. As the girl struggled, Rowena could attempt a persuasion check. I'm sorry, Rowena. I did not realize the girl would be this hostile. It's all right. I've got this. I mean, you're pretty, pretty scary. You're an old dude with creaking bones, covered in armor. Here I am, just a nice young little lass covered in my normal stuff. I'm stalling so quickly here. 26. Expertise, yo. I remember to put it on. (laughs) It wasn't what Rowena said, but something about her tone that seemed to calm odd. Okay, I'll do what you want. Just don't hurt me like you hurt your friend. I didn't hurt no one. We're just trying to get your friends out. You did. I heard you hurt your friend at the gate. I, I, I didn't kill him. You m- killed him. I didn't kill him. He's he's fine. No, you punched your father. Then you... Oh, no, it's not my father. He's He was trying to do something silly. But then you stabbed him. You stabbed Soren. No, I, I didn't stab Soren. Soren was... You stabbed him multiple times. I could hear him screaming. No, I, I, I didn't. Gunther told me. While you were asleep, he explained what happened. I promise I won't tell anyone. Just don't hurt me. Um, don't do what you did to Soren. I, I'm not I'm not going to hurt you. I, I, didn't, I didn't stab him. You definitely did. I could hear him and he was screaming for you not to. He said your name. Rowena, right? It, yeah... Then it was definitely you he was screaming about. Just please leave me alone. No, I, I was just I was just taking him over to the portal. I, I, didn't, I didn't stab him. You did. Odd cautiously insisted, but was too afraid to struggle under Rowena's twitching gaze and firm hand. Rowena found that her other hand held something she hadn't remembered grabbing. A dagger. Sorin's dagger. Its steel seeming to shift in the firelight. The fuck? Stay here. I'll, uh, I'll be back soon. And I'm gonna go upstairs. Ten feet above Rowena's head was a well-supplied general goods store, dimly lit by flickering candles. 
An assortment of wares, both used and somewhat less used, lined its tables, showcasing these curios before the shop's only window, which notably seemed to pull all the warmth from the room, both figuratively and literally into the gray and white beyond. As the warmth from the stovepipe fought a losing battle, Sindri, who had ascended the stairs and closed the door to the basement behind himself, was greeted by the man he knew to be named Neddard. The proprietor, an athletically cut man with tanned skin, a gut, and short dark hair stood before Father Westpike. So, you're finally awake. Thank you very much for your hospitality. I appreciate it very much. I did not... I no longer had the bed to sleep on after the time we were away. Yeah, yeah. Will you and your cousin be heading out today? Uh, if you will house us another night, that would be, of course, very, very much appreciated. I do not expect charity here. Uh, if I will pay for my porting, our porting. The end is still being disputed. So, I'll only charge you a half scale for both beds. Maybe tell your horn friend I've been so nice. Maybe also mention that this has been my place now for some time. Eight, two, three, oh, sorry, I, I'll get it. Uh, three, four, f- five copper. Thank you very much. Do you know what will be for dinner? Well, I can tell you it won't be rabbit. The damn trapper family won't let anyone near him. Maybe leek and tomatoes with rice. Thank you very much. He takes a second and goes through his memory. Did this man have a... Were one of the children that we failed to bring back his? Father Westpike, having known all the children and parents of Ilmeter's Hope, reflected for a moment, staring off before returning to the conversation. Confident that Neddard was not among their number. I, he simply just says, I'm sorry for the loss that Ilmeter Hope has experienced. No need to apologize to me. <laughs> I'm new to the Hope. I'm here as part of the Vale's paid defense. The shop is just a perk to help pass the time. It's not so bad, though. Oh, they hired new guards. It's understandable, the situation they went through. Of course, they are fearful people now. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take more of your time. Uh, If Rowena is looking for me, I will be at the church. And Father Westpike starts to leave. Neddard stared as the door to the basement opened, and the pale form of Rowena slowly stepped through, shaking visibly to all except Father Westpike. Um, excuse me, but do you know, well, anyone who could look after the little lass downstairs? I don't know how much longer we're going to be staying here, so she should find a family, uh, someone who look after her, yes? Father Westpike hesitates at, like, you can see a look of shame on his face when he sees you, and he like looks down, then he looks back up. Uh, Rowena, you're awake. <sighs> Wonderful. Uh, and he starts walking back towards her. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. I must have closed the door harder than I expected. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, please, anywhere I can take this little lass? She can still stay here. I'm not going to eat her. Ayas might be an ass, but I'm not going to neglect his blind daughter. I think he said he'd be adopting her after her parents. Well, yeah. Charming little town, isn't it? That's great. Uh, Could you... It's just that she can't see. Yes. So she needs someone to keep an eye on her? You know, it's kind of a rude way of putting it, but I'll check in on her. She's going to walk around, uh, shake his hand formally, like it's some sort of dwarven guild arrangement, and she's going to say, I'm... 
I'm sorry, uh, I, I don't know your name. The name's Nedard. He didn't bother to ask the first few days. As Rowena shook his reluctant hand, she noticed a series of tattoos on his wrists. Shielded heraldry of a burning double pendulum, bisected by a crossguard, was surrounded by other simple decorations. Some artistic skulls, a sad face with X's for eyes, and also a weave of symbols indicating his status as a merchant. Hell shields. Some sort of mercenary. Thank you. Thank you, Nadart. If she requires anything, I will gladly pay for it. Oh, the trapper mentioned that he'd recover a note for me. By chance, do you still have it? Sorry. Everyone thought you were dead. You were already gone for some months when it came into my possession, so I... I used it for kindling. He just mouths the word months without saying it. Uh, yes. Do you... Did you read it by any chance? I did. Maybe. Yeah. Could you, by chance, share what you remember of it? It was an apology or condolence. To you, for something you'd lost. I... No. For your losses. It was really strange. Something like that you had nothing else that could be taken and that you should return home. Did it say who it was from? It didn't have a signature. But it was stained with, like, a powder. Maybe coal or something. <laughs> sure burned like it. And according to the trapper, the guy who dropped it off looked strange. Strange how? Was he human? Yeah. Yeah, something like scars and tattoos with a, uh, with a set of crooked and cracked glasses, I think the trapper said. We were still on okay terms when we talked about it. But... This just confirms Father Vespike's memory of Cole, uh, the cultist we captured in the woods who kidnapped the children. Why would Cole... lost everything? It's, it's been months. Um, it would take maybe a month and a half to walk to the Frost Iron Mountains from here. Uh, well, maybe not walk, travel, horses would speed things up. Uh, just ignore Father Westpike mumbling the information over in his brain. So, you both seem like you're finally well enough to hold a real conversation. No offense. My boss, Nix, wanted some information from you, basically to get a better account about what happened to the kids in the report he's inking up. We were hoping you'd help collaborate on the report of the, uh... seeing as there's so few survivors. We wanted to make sure we got the facts straight. Of course. If you have questions, we can answer them. Okay. Great. Is now a good time? Sure. Father Westpike struggles a little bit. I shoot my look of like, don't even think about it. <laughs> Nedard pulled up a piece of parchment and quickly sharpened the quill. The entire time, Father Westpike does not look up. He's kind of like, just staring at shelves and the ground. Rowena's having something very similar. She's like, trying to... She's trying to recall exactly what happened. She's trying. So... Let's start with the basics. The kids were kidnapped by a cult, yes? Aye. And you, Sister Cavernsfall of Foxifos, Sorin the monster hunter, Philgia the local witch, Ias the former innskeeper, you all went out to see if you could rescue them. That's right? That's right. According to the townspeople, we've been away for many months. 
but that is right. The six of us traveled out to find the children. Okay. And only six of you returned. Three children, three adults. No, Soren came back, so it's four. Hmm. Okay. So, according to you, what happened to those who were deceased? I'd like to hear it from your perspectives. What happened to, say, Sister Cavern's fall? How did she meet her end? Her family will undoubtedly want some answers. I was told she was a respected paladin of Alluvian. She... Sister Cavernfalls died at the Great Gate. She was slain by a magical blade that struck a lethal blow through her heart. The strike was meant for me, but she sacrificed herself to take the blade. She died a hero, and died as any paladin of Illuvan would wish to. What about Filgia, the half-witch? She wasn't particularly liked in these parts, and we want to confirm she is indeed dead. She's dead. During our travels on the ground towards the underground forest, we encountered oozes that seemed to be pacified. During one of the nights, they seemed to have attacked her, but but a doppelganger took her place at some point before that, I think. You okay? Gods. The whole story is quite messy. I'll just write this down. What remained of the body lies within the, the roaming forest burnt by the goo. Gotcha. Roaming goo. Okay. And the dead pines just got a bit safer. Hmm. So, then, uh, what happened to Soren? He wasn't from around here, I don't believe, but it's worth including in the report. Yeah, Father Westpike looks over to Rowena when he asks about uh, Soren, kind of quizzically. Soren knew the Great Gate had to be sealed with blood, so he plunged a blade into his heart and he died... There. His blood spilled out on the ground and it, it closed the portal. Wait, wait, wait. So, he closed this gate with a willing act of blood sacrifice? Hey, And then he came back to us. Back to life, I mean. He said that he closed it and they knew that he had to be the one who do it. And that everybody else had to live on. And and then he came back with us here. I, I'm not sure where he is at the moment, but I know I saw him at dinner yesterday. You saw Soren Arkwright at dinner yesterday. Uh, she clearly doesn't know how to answer. Did Soren come with you to Ilmeter's Hope or not? To this inn? To this inn? Specifically, I, I, I do... I, I do believe, um... Well, I, I fell asleep pretty quickly, so I'm not sure which bed was his downstairs, but I know I saw him down there with us. But I remember talking to him on the walk through town. So... I didn't see him, and I spoke to all of you when you got here. Spoke at you, more like it. There's six beds down there. One for the girl, two for the boys, one for Ias, two of you. I, I remember traveling with, with Soren. He said he was going to go back and hunt one of the creatures that, uh, that attacked us during our travels. But he entered the city with us, I am pretty sure. So you believe, on your word as a cleric of Pelor, that he traveled back with you to Ilmeter's Hope? I know he came with us, he says kind of sternly. And I am not sure who Pelor is, but I am a priest of Seligon, in good standing. Sorry, I thought that was the case, but you kept mumbling Pelor when you arrived, and I got confused. By his holy wings and guiding lights, I swear that I speak the truth. See, 
Here's where I'm finding differences in the story here. In details like this. If you don't mind, I'd like to interview the girl while you're gone. I think she'd be more comfortable that way. I look down at my hands. They were shaking, yes, but sure enough, Rowena noticed something. A glint of metal in her hand. A dagger. I pocket that before anyone sees it. With a poor roll, Sindri only saw a flash of metal as it went away. Father does not find that too strange. She might have been fiddling with something in her, stro- in her hand. I'm going to have to insist that you don't leave Elmeter's Hope until Nyx has had time to review all the statements. Do not worry. They will collaborate our story. We have not lied today. Now, if you'll excuse me, I want to go to the church. The remnants of the church. <laughs> Good luck with those sinners. Uh, he, he says thank you, even though it was obviously sarcastic. And he starts walking out and he looks to Rowena to follow him. She's, um... Rowena hesitates. She's highly uncomfortable right now and it... It looks like she kind of wanted to maybe say something more, but she changed her mind um, before she decides to follow Sindri. Dark Dice, Chapter 1A, Left Behind. Starring A. Thorvith Jarsson as Father Sindri Westpike, Hem Cleveland as Rowena Granitepike, and Travis Vengroff as Dungeon Master. This episode featured Theo Merksimer as Odd and Ryan Philbrook as Neddard. This episode was co-edited by Sarah Baczynski of Polarity Audio Works and Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Produced with additional editing and sound design by Travis Vengroff, with mixing and mastering by Hemlock Creek Productions. This episode featured music by Stephen Malin and Travis Vengroff. To support this production and get access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and D&D materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash foolandscholar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as at DarkDicePod. This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you for listening.